Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your hustle and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And uh, Noel, we've got we've got more news. We've We've got more TV to talk about this week because sort of, yeah, you, but yes. Does it count? We have so much reality this week, <laughs> but then we won't have anything next week. Like that's sort of the deal. Is like we're just like, oh, here's a bunch of silly game shows. There's nothing else to watch next week. <laughs> well, the other th- reason we have silly game shows is because the show we're spotlighting this uh, this week is season one of Top Boy or Top Boy colon summer house on netflix more on that later um and like it's it's a very good show it's fun conversation i hope you guys enjoy it but like we needed a break (laughs) so i was i was entertained and not at all surprised to go to our notes and see that you had watched how many how many lavas did you watch i watched four episodes of netflix's the floor is lava in a day. I watched four Legendaries. <laughs> I watched so much Legendary this week. So, yeah. No, we, you, need you have to, better priorities than I do. You need to cleanse the palate a bit. So, yeah, there's 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 a bunch of TV for us to talk about. There's also quite a bit of news. Um, we're going to start with the strange and then go to the unfortunately not so strange. What is this about 30 Rock coming back for upfronts or something? I'm very confused. Right. So every year, broadcast networks do an upfront presentation to advertisers that basically shows what they're going to air that upcoming season. So advertisers get a sense of what the schedule and the program slate looks like so that they can then buy ad spots. That's the whole point of upfronts. Um, Upfronts have become sort of like a mini TCA junket in a little way, um, just because people report on them a little bit. Uh, but you can't do upfronts this year (laughs) because no one wants to go inside an enclosed building unless you're there for a Trump rally, I guess. Um, so instead of doing a, like, some sort of presentation, NBC has commissioned the entire cast, regular, regular cast of 30 Rock to come and do the upfront presentation for the NBC schedule. Now, doing kind of gimmicky things for upfronts is not out of the question. Typically, someone from the network hosts hosts upfronts. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel does it a fair bit for like ABC, and so it's not out of the out of the realm to do something weird for upfronts. But here, NBC has everyone from Thirty Rock coming back to do sort of an upfronts presentation. That will then air not only on NBC, but across a number of other Xfinity, uh, sorry, not Xfinity, Comcast-owned cable channels as well. Mm. So this is a really weird sort of event that is going to promote NBC's programming across other Comcast-owned channels because Comcast owns NBC. Um, so it's a really weird sort of deal that they're doing with this. I'm, it's just, it's one of those instances in which this is definitely something that 30 Rock would have mocked Cable Town for. Mm -hmm. Cable Town being the 30 Rock version of Comcast. 
Um, and so it's just, it's really weird. That all being said, I'm definitely going to watch this. <laughs> um, cause I really like 30 Rock. Um, and I'm, I'm just really curious about what this whole thing looks like. Um, and yeah, it's just real weird. Um, it should be noted. And my partner, I kind of talked about this when they announced this, that NBC especially will drop like two to three minute, like previews of the upcoming fall slate that then error on the affiliates. Yeah. Super common. The affiliates just typically air those previews at like two in the morning. <laughs> I get so excited when I, oh, there's a new, no, it's a two minute ad. Oh, no, it's a two minute preview with mostly clips from the previous season and a couple of talking head interviews from the cast about the new season because they actually don't have anything cobbled together enough to show you. Um, so it's, NBC does this sort of thing anyway. They're just making it like an event program because they can't show the Olympics because the Olympics are happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Is what's happening there. <laughs> yeah. It's very strange. Like, I, I, how into the numbers are they going to get? Like, how, yeah. like, that's what I am so puzzled by. And, like, intrigued sounds too positive. I'm not negative on this, but I'm not yeah. all that curious about it either. I wouldn't watch normally. The thing that I'm most, like, but, okay, but is this for reals? Is, are they gonna break, like, get dig into the specifics like they normally right. would at an upfronts? And if they are, I can't see that working for Tina Fey. Like, and her taking that seriously and being on board with that um, from a business perspective. Like, because it's not, like, it doesn't feel, like, in character for the show or for for her rather than um, for Liz. And, uh, and if they do, then I feel like there's no, like, I, as the person buying the ad space, I'd be like, but are they just punking me? And when it doesn't deliver anything near this, I'd be like, it was 30 Rock. Obviously, we were joking. Right. You know? Yeah. That's that's a fair question. I don't know. I don't know. It's I'm just so strange. I'm really curious about this. I'm I'm actively curious about this. And I'm more so curious about the fact that they're just like going to splay this across all the other cable channels as well. Because yeah. that's that is also a very aggressive weird choice. Yeah. It's it's very strange. So more on this when it happens, listeners. Yeah, it happens uh, like middle of July. Yeah. Yeah. It's gonna yeah. We still won't have TV to talk about then, so maybe we'll do a spotlight on it. Who, who knows? We'll see what happens when we're in the middle of July. Um, other news we felt like we should mention, um, because we we missed it in, in our last episode, the 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 revelation around the Bon Appetit uh, YouTube channel, which is now, again, because of when we're recording it, when the cutoff was last week, um, weeks old. So you guys all have probably already know this, but uh, in the discussions around um, pay equity for people of color, for, for uh, in media, but just in general, um, one of the chefs in the, who's frequently featured in the Bon Appetit test kitchen uh, videos, Sola, uh, and came forward with the fact that she doesn't get paid at all for all of her appearances on the various Bon Appetit videos for YouTube. I think some, I think it was Gabby gets paid like 400 bucks a video, or at least that's a number I kept seeing thrown around in discussions around this. I couldn't find sourcing for it. Um, I also 
kept seeing thrown around the fact that Claire makes 20 grand for each of her, her videos. So there's some disparities there. Obviously, she is the host of her channel that she does with the gourmet makes and everything, and it gets massive viewership. I'm not saying that she is overvalued. I'm saying how you could possibly think over at Condé, Condé Nast that um, your YouTube channel, apparently none of the creators of color are, are paid for their appearances on YouTube channels. And that is just ridiculous because one of the first things I said about the, the channel when I discovered it and, and Noel, you're like, where have you been? <laughs> this yeah. is so wheelhouse you. How have you not known about this? Was that they really had established a rapport, like a workplace comedy rapport. And so having all these different people come up and interact and be part of the videos is a big part of why they work. And so they are essential parts of that and need to be paid. Also, she was paid a starting salary. That was just offensive. With 15 years experience, she was hired as to be an assistant for 35 grand in New York, right? They're, they're in New York. I want to say they're in New yeah, York. Yeah, they're in New York. Like, that's insane. That is insane. Was it 35? I thought it was in, I thought it was 55. Was it 55? Yeah, I know that it's, 55. it has since been bumped up to 60 something. Yeah, it's still too low, regardless of what it is. But it's too I think low. It, I think she came in at fifty five because okay. she wouldn't be able to work there full time at thirty five, living in New York. You just you wouldn't be able to. I, I, you know, I bet I switched it with some of the other stories that have been going around about um, like pay pay for assistance to executives in L A. and in oh, Hollywood yeah, yeah, yeah. because there have definitely been stories about people making yes. thirty five k a year. Yes, that and, is correct. So that's probably what happened. So thank you for that correction. Um, yeah. But still, with like the training that she has and uh, and 15 years experience to be hired for a full-time job like that in New York for 55,000, I mean, it's no. <laughs> you can't you, you can't really live on that um in New York with all because you also have to be paying off your years of debt for your schooling and everything. So it's just anyways, um it took some. It took more time than many would have liked for all of the creators, all of the YouTube celebrities that they have over there at Bon Appetit to come forward. But within like the day, they all did come forward with statements about this uh, in in support of Sola and pledging to not make any more YouTube content for the channel until they got paid. Until and I'm some. I mean, there's different responses, but the the gist is. Pay them equitably now, and they that you need to give them back pay, <laughs> and so and and since all of this blew up, the editor in chief, um, uh, or the editor, the head editor for Bon Appetit is out, and I would imagine they are in the process of. I think they hired do, an interim. They um, hired an interim um, person. Yeah, yeah, from um, I think Philadelphia's food section, who's generally really well respected. I think. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, there's just different like stories have been out about the working at, uh, environment there and who gets paid and who is able to uh, be given opportunities and what kind of food do they pay for specials, uh, you know, features on that, all of that. So it's really a yes. uh, toxic work environment um, by many accounts. So anyways, way to go, uh, all the YouTube staff uh, and the celebrities or the chefs that they have banding together and supporting each other. That is terrific. There have not been any new YouTube videos on the channel for two weeks, which is a long time in a YouTube channel. 
Um, and I keep looking for updates, but nothing, nothing new. Uh, do you have any thoughts on this? I think that a lot of this falls in the line with a lot of the other stuff that we're seeing of like, everyone's locked down. We're all, it's one of these things of like a boiling over point for a lot of things, because there's almost literally nothing but time now, Mm -hmm. um, to start exposing this. And there's this large sort of thing happening in which we start like seeing these things, whether it's like police brutality, systemic racism, institutional racism, um, pay disparity, all this sort of stuff starting to fracture as a result of business as usual, not being able to be usual air mm-hmm. quotes around business as usual. Um, and I think that that's really getting reflected in any number of things from what's happened, protests from legislation trying to shift through to like address that to the fact that there's a protest zone basically in semi-permanent process zone in Seattle right now mm-hmm. to Bon Appetit um, YouTube channel and like the limits therein of what we think of as a fun office environment turning out not to be that fun because it's still an office environment grounded in disparity, capitalism, food snobbery, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but my understanding is that Shola is the only woman who can temper chocolate, therefore should have been paid much more money. Um, Clearly. <laughs> Anyone who can temper chocolate deserves an extra 20K a year um, if no one else can do it. Yeah. Um, so I think that we're just seeing all of this kind of like become more present because we are really starting to wake up and feeling emboldened, I think is the other thing. So I think that's really, really great. Um, for me personally, like this doesn't really impact me to a certain degree because I don't consume Bon Appetit. Um uh, YouTube channel. I do consume like Polygon's YouTube uh, video crew who who I love dearly. Um, but I also like think about the fact that A, that group is very, very white. And B, they sometimes have folks on from other parts of Polygon that aren't part of like the video crew. And I immediately go, I always wondered if they were getting paid extra. I'm guessing not. But now I'm just like, oh, I really hope Jeff gets extra money because people pick on Jeff on those videos so much. He deserves extra money. <laughs> um, listeners, if you watch the Polygon stuff, um, Jeff's great, but he works in like engagement or something for Polygon. Um, so he's not part of the video crew. So he deserves to be paid for appearing. And I think that's that's fair because that's this is labor. And the from my understanding of Shola's um, stuff was that it was strongly expected to appear in these videos without any sort of compensation or arrangements therein of your contract like you were just expected to do it uh which is regardably super common in media companies especially media companies with a heavy online presence doing these kinds of things is just kind of expected now as opposed to negotiated as part of your overall package with the publication and that's something that i think a lot of writers in particular need to be aware of going forward but it's also something that like video editors need to be conscious of going forward as well mm-hmm. so that's that's how i feel about it yeah uh i mean solo it's not like they were saying well you've got some extra time because we this project isn't happening so can you stop yeah. by the thing it's no you still have to do your full-time job and also carve out time to go film and yeah. You know, the the camaraderie and the energy and the vibe in the kitchen is a big part of what makes 
those yes. all those videos so fun. And I do not doubt for a second that is a genuine camaraderie and vibe. But <laughs> you can have both. You know, it's not like they're yes. all acting like they like each other when in the videos that we see. It just speaks to um, the the notion of well, don't talk about money. It's rude. It's no, it's not. It's only rude if you're if you're the one who's making money and you're secure and everybody else is not and you don't want to hear about it. That's the rude bit where you feel, you know, uncomfortable. Because um, I know a lot of viewers, myself included, assumed they had some sort of overall video deal with these people right. who keep popping in. You know, like they have some some sort of thing because they are so frequently and regularly featured. Like every single episode of Gourmet Bakes. They have many people come down who are not, like, officially on-air talent. Um, so, like, they do videos all the time where it's, like, 10 chefs try, taste test this. And Sola is one of those chefs, you know? So, yeah, it's, um, I will be following what happens next. And there are other channels that can absolutely get my, my eyes and my ad watching revenue um, who, if they're going to, you know, they're not going to fix this or do their best to rectify it in some way. So I, and I also agree very much with what you were saying, Noel, I think the fact that not, obviously there are lots of people who have le- the same time or less time than normal right now. Yeah. But there are a bunch of other people who have extra time. And after, you know, some weeks to breathe and make sourdough, uh, were able to actually consider things, take the time, like get off the gerbil wheel long enough t- to look yes. around. And uh, so when you're not constantly having, you're not able to stay on the wheel as, as you have to, to, you know, get the next rent because most, I mean, I shouldn't say most, a lot of Americans, a large percentage of Americans live pay t- paycheck to paycheck. Um, when, when that something happens to break business as usual, like you said, that can allow people to assess and talk and communicate in a way that they couldn't. So, yeah. yeah. And speaking of, another one of these big stories you know, on a similar vein has been Mo Ryan's piece over at Vanity Fair about assistant pay in Hollywood. And this is something that's specifically tied to uh, coronavirus and COVID-19 uh, pay cuts, you know, with the studios dealing with massive shortfalls that they didn't anticipate since so many things are shut down. Um, and, but I, but this is a topic that has, that Mo has been covering for a long time and that, uh, you know, I, I have seen regularly, um, as a discussion from showrunners that I don't follow, but constantly are in my feed because <laughs> people are retweeting them. Um, but like, uh, for, for example, the, the showrunners at one day at a time have talked about this. The, uh, Javier Griot Marswatch has talked about this. Plenty of showrunners have talked about, about this issue. Um, so we're going to link the article that Mo wrote in the show notes, but, uh, can you give a brief outline, Noel, of what the story is? Sure. So uh, mostly it covers the fact that a number of assistants, and we should really stress that it is a wide range of below the line talent um, from writer's assistants, uh, script assistants to sort of like lighting assistants and this kind of thing. So it's not just like personal assistants. So I think that is factored into some of this are dealing with a third to a half pay cut 
as a result of the pandemic. And what this means is that these people who use assistantships basically as stepping stones to get further into the industry now suddenly have to back away from the industry. And there's two sort of pronged things here of like assistance can either be folks who have something to fall back on because of nepotism, because they knew someone whose uncle was at W Warner brothers television studios or pick a television studio. Um, Mm -hmm. Mo Ryan focuses largely on Warner brothers television because she has a number of like sourcing there. Um, But that is one way in which people get fed into the Hollywood system. They start to become writer's room people. They become cinematographers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But if they don't have anything to fall back on, they get forced out. And in no small percentage, the people that get forced out are people of color, um, people who are generally not represented in writer's rooms or in technical departments. And you see those people fade out of the industry as a result of these sorts of um, pay disparities or their socioeconomic background does not allow them to maintain a connection to the industry while working three other jobs during a pandemic to try and survive. Mm -hmm. So all of this is circulating within the story. Um, It is, as is Mo Ryan's want, uh, really well-researched, really well-sourced. And it also brings to light, I can't remember if I saw this circulated or not, Andrew Kreisberg's $10 million parachute when he was excised from the Arrowverse shows following allegations of... um, sexual misconduct and like unsafe work environment yeah unsafe work environment type stuff um and received like a 10 million dollar check after he was let go from Warner Brothers television studio to which any number of people should have gone wait a second hang on 10 million dollars no um, so there's a lot of stuff in this um, piece. It's very meaty, but it's very much worth your time to dig into. So we're going to have that link in the show notes. Please check it out. It's very, very good. Um, I don't think it's paywalled or anything because I know Vanity Fair kind of meters stuff, I think. But I think that f- for the moment, this is pretty easy to get access to. If not, Mo's got a great thread about it that you can read and get mm-hmm. a like a spark note summary of it. Yeah. Mo, Mo Ryan, excellent uh, Twitter follow. Lots of yeah, fun. No, she's uh, great. F- so, so reporting on the industry and uh, awesome, uh, <laughs> awesome posts about TV and also pictures from her garden sometimes and also <laughs> uh, just you know fun about random stuff. So yeah, follow my ranch. Yeah. She's, she's I mean, terrific. I miss her voice as a critic, but her investigative <laughs> reporting had yeah. on the industry has just been well worth the trade off because it's tackling a lot of the stuff she wrote about in her criticism in a much more industrial facing way. And I think that's really, really important to have that present as well. Yeah, definitely. I'm very, I'm very grateful that she has been able to, to really focus on this aspect of her criticism and her writing. So yeah, Mo Ryan's great. Friend of the show, Mo Ryan is great. Um, so, uh, like we said earlier, at the end of the show, we're going to be talking about Top Boy, uh, which is current, let's say BBC or Channel 4. 
a Channel 4, thank you, show over on, uh, it's on Netflix, available on Netflix, I should say. It's called uh, Top Boy, colon, Summer House. There's two four-episode seasons, and then there's a third season, which is a Netflix uh, exclusive. We're just going to be talking about the first season this week, and we're going to talk about season two next week. Um, That's coming at the end of the show. And for now, we're going to take a break and listen to some music and be right back with our Week in TV. This week in comedy, drama, and genre, we're going to kick things off with the One Day at a Time animated special, the politics episode. Then Noel has a few thoughts on the quiz finale, and we'll go over to genre with Stargirl, Hourman, and Dr. Midnight, and of course, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. out of the past. So first up is the One Day at a Time animated special, the politics episode, and this was a super fun watch i watched it with my parents after avatar one of that day that it came out we finished watching avatar and we're like well should we put on the news no let's instead watch one day at a time please thank you um and it was because they don't usually watch one day at a time um so it was fun to see how impactful it was especially for my dad uh and because, of course, I'm in the bag for the show. I love the show, as our listeners know. Um, but I was worried as you know, when you're watching a show you really like with someone who hasn't usually watch it, that it wouldn't necessarily connect. But he really uh, was impacted by it. Thought it was a really strong episode. What did you think of this episode? First off, just as a one day at a time episode, and then we'll get to the animation. Okay, sure. So as a one day at a time episode, I think it works generally pretty okay. Um, I think that it has to walk a really kind of fine line because of it really very much wants to present and privilege Penelope and her family's perspective um, while still sort of acknowledging the other fam- the other branch of their family's existence and approach to things um, and ideology, um, maybe not necessarily as valid, but sort of worth being respected. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that hobbles the episode to a certain degree because the ideology that that part of the family represented most prominently in the episode by Melissa Fermero, who is great in voice work, I'm very pleased to report. Um, in fact, the entire cast is, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, leaves me with like a little bit of a not great taste in my mouth um, because it's still a little idyllic in the fact that a reasoned argument and a reasoned sort of approach that emphasizes empathy and listening breaks through in some way, shape, or form. And I don't know that this is true. Oh, it's (laughs) not. (laughs) And I mean, it can be in certain, certain situations with certain people. 
I don't know that it's always a valid choice, however, which pains me to say, but as someone who very much values like discourse and reason and talking, but it just, it's not the case sometimes. And I, and I like the message of it. And I like the, like the fact that the show at the end of the day comes down to the fact that we're all still family and we can get along if we ignore the fact that we are diametrically opposed foes. <laughs> and yeah, is kind of how I end up feeling about it. I think it's really well written, um, but I do just get bogged down in the, not both sidesy of it, because it's not both sides, but it still has that air of wanting to create space for a civil discourse that I feel like just doesn't, exists so it feels more aspirational than it does timely which is not something one day at a time i feel like engages with a lot um so that's sort of where i ended up with it on like a script level um so i was a little frustrated with it even though i do think the episode is good it's just not a good maybe episode of one day at a time it feels like of a different show almost in some ways um, am I very far on a limb here? How did you feel about this? Um, I think that this is a really good episode that I strongly disagree with its central message. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's accurate at all. But, you know, I, the notion that you're supposed to just not talk about politics um, it, and that's the solution to just avoid topics that you, with your family that you feel strongly about and pretend it'll go away. And as opposed to continue to support the current uh, status quo um, is not at all true. And it's the kind of thing that one day at a time knows better than um, I like that the episode is so fully engaging with the difficulties about that. Cause it's one thing to say, everybody has to go talk to their family and you need to find that Trump voter or find that, you know, fill in your blank of your issue person and you need to engage with them because if you don't engage with them then you know then it doesn't help anything because you are likelier to get through to them than somebody else's um it's easy to say that in an abstract or if you're someone who has a different kind of relationship with your family if you're someone for whom family is like down to the marrow of your bones like your how you grew up and what your what your so like what you what your social circle is and what is most important to you and your list of priorities that's a much different conversation and this episode i think is trying to engage with that um and i mean i think it is engaging with that i i just disagree with the where they find themselves i think the episode where you're the rest of the episode where you're building up to how am i supposed to deal with this does a good job with all of that i just don't buy their solution I like that they I like that they show they give um Melissa Fumero's character a equal time monologue mm-hmm. and I like that they ultimately uh give a strong response to it. I just don't think that pretending that that kind of a conversation would actually happen or have any meaningful results is very honest. Um like you said it's very aspirational. But I think that it is written very carefully and with a lot of thought. And um, it does for me feel very much like a one day at a time episode. If anything, it feels more didactic 
than a usual issues kind of episode of one day at a time, which can often be very didactic. Um, so yeah, where the, where they, where they land and the fact that they land not with the end, not with Penny says, you know, what she believes. And then they have the, uh, Melissa Fermara character say what she believes and then Penny responds and they have a moment of connection even if they don't agree. I don't believe that part of it and then and then they end. <laughs> so you don't see anything yeah. else that happens, right? It's very convenient. And then they end on the they end on the note of both both teams sets of families basically feeling the exact same way about the other sets of families and they end with the conservative family to make sure that you're thinking about where they're coming from a bit more. Um, that it, it just feels like a rather big sidestep around it, around the actual issue rather than engaging with it. Because I think it's too big of an issue to actually engage with it. It's too big of an episode, issue for 22 minutes. What they do here instead is try to have some fun with it, really focus on where Penny is coming from. And I think they mostly do that bit well. Yeah. I think that they do that bit okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. I really can't get behind. Like, I agree with you saying that it feels more didactic, which is possibly why I don't think it feels like a one day at a time episode. Hmm. Um, for me, anyway. Um, because I agree with you that the show can be quite didactic. However, normally they're much better at their didacticism. Um, than this and I think that's one of the reasons why it doesn't feel particularly one day at a time for me um what did you think about the animation and the vocal work in this episode the animation did a lot of the carrying this episode would not have worked if it wasn't live action or if it was live action it would not have worked um because we get to pop to the different things it also I mean it we're I think most people are giving this episode a bit of a a bit of a pass because of the situation and the circumstance of, uh, you know, around how it was written and um, put together, you know, yeah. uh, even if it was, pre- it might've been a pre-existing script, but like they're all, we're all sitting in this one room because we're not animating on any other rooms, guys, because it would cost too much. And we did the hallway, okay? Just back off. We did the hallway as well. And we're <laughs> going to have just these characters and we're going to, sh- you know, like, I, th- I think the art style is fun. I think what we get... Um, and visually, I was expecting some different animation styles, but I think this works well. It's, uh, the the side, like the detour with Gloria Estefan, completely not necessary, but you know, you know, I enjoyed it. It's a good time. Um, and watching Lydia just get plastered over the course of, because because she can't ha- tell her family to stay at a hotel, but also she can't be sober for this conversation, like. I thought that that worked pretty well. Uh, so I was on board. I was on board with the animation. I sort of balked at like a lot of the art design for this, in part because I felt like a number of the characters were handled by different animators with different styles, um, which kind of steadily took me out of it. Um, and I acknowledged the fact that they probably had to use different animators to sort of make this work. Um, and I don't know any of the production background of this and I kind of poked around, but I couldn't find anything, um, specific. Um, so that sort of bugged me a little bit, but it also allows the characters to feel really individualized in a way that we often don't see, um, in animation. So 
it's sort of like a blessing and a curse in a lot of ways because I was distracted by the character models looking so stylistically different from one another. But at the same time, it allows each of the characters to feel distinct. Mm-hmm. Um, so the 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 one half dozen, et cetera, et cetera, um, mm-hmm. type of deal. So it's fine for me. Um, mostly, I just liked how large Snyder's hair was. Like, it was so <laughs> big. Yeah. Um, just so big. Um, but yeah, so, but I do agree with you that the episode doesn't work unless it's animated. Um, which I do think, like, also sort of results in it feeling a little after schooly, um, which I think is the other, like, the larger problem of it is, like, it's animated, it feels like an after-school special, this is not great type of deal, um, but it also allows them to do, like you say, really silly things, like Lydia getting just hammered throughout the entire episode, and but also, like, them fighting in a way that you just could not do in live action, and it's very much worth the gag. Yeah. Um, oh, the entire episode is worth it yeah. for... Yeah. The but her emails while yes. being choked. Yeah, no, that like the whole yes, episode exactly. just for that. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Is like there are a number of jokes in here that don't work live action, but work so well because of the animated style. So a little bit of like a mixed bag episode for me of one day at a time, which is kind of hurts my soul a little bit, <laughs> but it happens. Yeah. At least we got another episode. I'm happy to have mm-hmm. another episode of One Day at a Time. However, yeah. they have to get it to us. Well, what about the quiz finale? Because I have I have a big question for you. I'm I haven't seen I've seen two of the three episodes. I haven't yes. seen the last episode yet. Um, I was very excited to watch this last episode. Yes. Um, and then I found out, or I heard like sort of through Twitter chatter and stuff that you don't actually find out if they did it definitively. Correct. You you that do not find out if the um the uh, whatchamacallits that the Ingrams committed any sort of crime. Or if they That's really that. frustrating. It is frustrating, but it sort of fits with like the weird vibe of this show, I think. Mm-hmm. In part because the Ingrams have ever since maintained their innocence. Um, in terms of that they did not cheat. Um that Charles Ingram's whole deal is that he does not know pop culture. But as the questions progressed, they shifted away from pop culture into things that he understood Mm -hmm. and had a firmer grasp on. Um, I think that this show is really... I don't know that it's good. I think it's interesting. Um, Mm -hmm. Because in a lot of ways, even though this is a sort of dramatized, fictionalized version of these events... I kept thinking back to like McMillions, which we watched earlier this year as a documentary that about events that roughly occurred at this same time (laughs) um, involving another ridiculous sort of cheating scandal. And McMillions runs with that for like way too many episodes, stretches it out, demolishes any goodwill that the audience has for it by just going off on all these kind of tangential things because the actual conspiracy wasn't that interesting. Um, And I think Quiz sort of, like, realizes that and avoids that trap by only being three episodes. Um, And by avoiding trying to provide an answer, I think actually works to the show's benefit. Um, In part because a lot of the last episode is really centered on... A, the nature of memory, and B, the nature of truth. And it's a really, it's a, 
for me, it's a slight swerve from the first episode, which feels like a weird conspiracy thriller, to the second episode, which is a well-staged reenactment of an actual event, to we're going to talk about the current day through this show now. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's maybe too many things ultimately happening in this show, but this whole concept of, well, all the evidence that is presented at the Ingrams' trial is literally produced by the show. Because they edit together the tape that demonstrates the cough, and their lawyer makes a great deal of hay out of this. Um, Even if the Ingrams are still found guilty of the things that they are accused of by the jury, the judge also basically just gives them a suspended sentence. Um, because, uh, wait, what did they do exactly? And so there's a number of interesting things, I think, happening, but I don't know that it's necessarily a good miniseries. I think it's, like I said, I think it's interesting. I don't know that it's necessarily good. I think that the one thing that I came away from, and I don't think that this is what the show wants, is that I really cannot wait for Matthew McFadden, who plays Charles Ingram here, to get a bunch of bronzer on his face, adopt a Midwestern accent, and play John Boehner in something. Because I think he would be incredible <laughs> at it. Because he he cries in the finale, and I just went, oh my god, he's he could play John Boehner. And it would be amazing, listeners, if you're not familiar with the American politician and former Speaker of the House, John Boehner, look him up. He's an he's not an interesting fellow, but Matthew McFadden could definitely play him in something, and I think it would work. Um, but yeah, so I, again, I don't regret spending time with the show because I think it's pretty solid, but it's it's a weird duck of a program. I think that is a little too tonally and thematically all over the map. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, the, that's interesting. And I, and I'm now I'm more interested about that third episode again. And I think if I had gone into it knowing that there isn't a straightforward answer because they strongly affirm this and yeah. the other side strongly affirms this and the evidence is inconclusive. Um, that would have shifted how I approached it and watched sure. it. Um, and then I wouldn't be like getting to the third episode, like we're going to find out for sure. in the next one guys, what we are. Oh, <laughs> like, right. It very much avoids that documentary impulse, that investigative documentary impulse that we've sort of adopted. Um, because we, we don't know. And the Ingrams are still working through an appeal on getting their sentence overturned, even mm-hmm. though again, they didn't serve any prison time. Yeah, that's, yeah. Well, and, and also there was all sorts of other right, no, terrible things they, that happened to them. Right, the Ingrams were heavily harassed, um, Charles in particular, and the show does acknowledge that through various means. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I will, I, now, now I'm all, see, you got me all compelled to go watch <laughs> oh, it now. Congratulations. I I'm going to have to watch it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I was going to watch it anyways, but um, our next episode is Stargirl, Our Man, and Dr. Midnight. And we have to begin with Kate's Classical Corner. Yes. Please talk to me about the fiddler. Because the fake violin playing, while bad, is much yeah. better in this okay. than it was in the other one. 
in the previous episode. Like, they're, the bow hold that we see, like, clearly they cut to someone else who's actually playing, you know, for some of the shots. Um, but the faking was better. The bow hold, when you see you're just kind of standing there playing the wrong thing at the wrong time, at least the fingers are curved in such a way that they worked on it quite a bit, or they used to play violin. Because most people, if you just hand them a bow, they don't, like, relax and curve their fingers over it the way that this person did. Um, so they either studied it, some diagrams and pictures, or they have some background in it. But, um, yeah, it's still very bad. <laughs> it's still very bad. Um, and um, I'm not looking forward to more of it. But I, it was a definite, distinct improvement to the point where I almost feel like maybe they completely changed what they expected the sound to be or what the song, okay. the violin was going to be in the previous one. And so they, and they just like, well, we'll just d- change out the the song. The fact that it's a completely different tempo and completely different range of the violin. No one will care. And you know, yes. Uh, but the, the faking was terrible in the last one and it was only not good in this one. The, the focus of this episode, though, is on Our Man introducing our, our new Our Man and Dr. Midnight. And, um, yeah, obviously, they're both delightful. I'm very, very on board with, um, su- like, surrogate son for Dan- for for Pat here, our, our broody teen. Since his actual son is a nightmare. <laughs> his actual son still does not feel like his son sometimes he feels like he just small him he doesn't actually feel like they don't actually feel yeah. like they are father and son but um but there's some, so there's some stuff i'm looking forward to and everything with our new dr midnight is delightful yeah i, I i'm we've got the team together basically like mm-hmm. and i'm like next week's episode is all about them going on their first mission as a group together um yeah i think this episode's fine i appreciate the fact that they sort of compacted having beth become dr midnight and rick become our man um into a single episode because i don't think either of these stories necessarily work as full episodes in the way that yolanda's story does um so i appreciate the economy (laughs) of it all in this episode and i think that there's plenty of really good stuff here i'm very excited to see what our dear sweet Beth does in the field. Um, and that just makes me very, very excited. Those goggles are very good. Mm-hmm. Um, so many in-jokes that they can work into those goggles um, that I'm just very happy about it. Um, so yeah, I think that this is a fine episode, um, but it's hopefully the end of the play setting at this point um, because I'm ready to things kind of kick into gear a little bit. I'm also ready for like Amy Smart to have things to do. Yeah. Um, I'm not anticipating I, that. I would like it. I'm not anticipating. I'm not anticipating either, but I'm I'm really waiting for that to happen because I kind of need it to happen. Um, because like we said right, at, I said right at the top, it was just like, oh yeah, remember when Amy Smart was a thing for like two minutes? I'm so excited she's here because she's good. She mm-hmm. just never really took off. And then I'm just like, great, she's gonna get stuff. To, oh, she's she's not gonna get anything t- to do. Oh. Okay. Um, so yeah. Um I don't I don't really have any questions for you. Like, I mean, Brainwave's kid is like his powers are waking up finally. His dad's going to be so happy when he gets out of that coma. <laughs> um but yeah, I, again, I'm ready for like us to transition to something else, but I'm also how ready are you for the mean girl 
um, to full, Cindy to fully embrace her obvious villain legacy <laughs> and just go whole hog. <laughs> I look forward to that because then they can give our, like, because again, like you said, they're in a holding pattern. And yeah. what they're doing now with her is not interesting. Yes, um, I agree. But what they could do with her, there's lots of different things they could do with her that could be interesting. Um, so hopefully that will change soon. Yes. Um, it's not lost on me that we have a team full of adults who've been doing this a long time, even if they're rusty, versus a bunch of very young people. And the fact that they're all played by like 25 to 30 year olds doesn't so, change. Beth and Yolanda are both 27. Yeah. Um, which is like way too old. <laughs> yeah. How, how um, old is Rick? Because Rick also looks very old. Rick is 21, actually. Ah, he just okay. looks much older. And he's the same age as the woman playing Courtney. So they're both 21. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yes, no, Yolanda and Beth are 27. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, like, you like this was the, you know, um, the, the issue, oh, an issue for me with the Mindy Kaling show, right? Where we're just so used to. Yes. The actor whose name escapes me, I apologize, who plays Mona on Legends, being around a bunch of 30-somethings. So I assumed that she was also playing a character older than she was and the actor was older because I just my brain does a context thing, you know, with that. That when she was playing a teenager and then I realized actually she's closer in age to the teenager than to like a lot of the cast on Legends. I was like, oh, okay. The same kind of thing happens at these teen shows where you've got half of your teenagers are... 25 plus and then you've got a couple who are younger my brain just averages them out (laughs) yeah i think that's fair i think that's super duper fair but yes so so yes the fact it's just so weird because i interact with actual teenagers all the time it's just it's very strange to me yeah but anyways super fair um on agents of shield uh we had out of the past and as i wrote in my oh, notes, gosh, listeners, <laughs> I wrote, I watched it right when, like, shortly after it aired and went excitedly to the notes and just put, this is so totally my shit. <laughs> and just sat there eagerly waiting for whenever you were going to get a chance to watch this. Um, so we haven't talked about it before, listeners. Um, we haven't talked about this episode yet. But how awesome is this episode and how excited are we for what comes next? Oh. I mean, I'm very excited. Like... I was not expecting uh, Sousa to continue on the show past this episode. Yeah. And y'all, he's going to be on the show for at least one more episode. I'm expecting him just to stick around for most of this season. Yeah. I can't wait. I I can't wait. You Um, see, I was like, no, no, (laughs) you've got to watch it. I can't tell you what, but you've got to watch it. And we both were telling friend of the show, Alison Shoemaker, Alison, you got go watch Shield. It's they're just legends, but like you know, um, so so uh, she hasn't watched it in a few seasons, and so it'll be a question as to whether she skips to this season, yeah, or feels like she needs to fill in the gaps. Um, but listeners, if you haven't been watching Shield and you're behind, that's okay. Dive in at the start of season seven. The water's fine. You'll have fun. It's you know, like if you are listening to this podcast, then you have a sense of uh, what the show's been doing, but also, you know, you probably like Legends, and if you like Legends, you're gonna get a kick out of this. It's a slightly more grounded Legends. Um, But yeah, Ember's on the ship, at least for now, and an extra episode is gonna be great, and if we get more than that, even better. Yay! Yes. Someone for uh, Coulson to be an old dad with. (laughs) 
I know it's going to be great. Um, no, I and just everything else about this episode, from the film noir vibe to aggressive calling attention to the fact that Coulson can't stop narrating himself because of a short circuit, mm-hmm. is really funny. But I like that that's the whole explanation for this is that he can't stop. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just like, I mean, show. I didn't need an explanation. Not going to complain, because it's a good explanation. Um, But no, there's just like a number of really delightful, silly little things in this episode that I think end up working really, really well. But one of the things I really, really like about this episode is that it really crystallizes something really interesting about this season to me that I'm wondering how you feel about. Um, Because the trailer for this season that dropped like as a preview of upcoming on agents of shield after the first episode did like a bunch of highlight type stuff, but also showed um, like the Triskelion um, Triskelion in Captain America winter soldier, the movie like being destroyed and everything because that's what happens mm-hmm. in that movie. Um, Cause it gets blown up, et cetera, et cetera, or like demolished, whatever. Um, is that agents of shield is now an orphan. <laughs> Mm-hmm. within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, ABC doesn't care about this show anymore, even though they ordered like a surprise additional season of it that everyone agreed to on the condition that they weren't going to order anymore. Um, that Marvel does not care about anymore. Marvel doesn't even care about the concept of S.H.I.E.L.D. anymore because they've shifted to something else with Nick Fury. Um, if you don't know, watch the last scene of Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um if you or no spider-man spider-man the spider-man the spider-man far from home sorry spider-man far from home um and all its other marvel tv properties are gone kate i'm so fascinated by the idea that because no one cares about this show anymore and because it technically doesn't matter that it doesn't tie into the cinematic universe anymore that it could literally rewrite history so that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is the single most important thing to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I so badly want that to happen as just a giant middle finger to literally everything. Like, it's just what I want to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. But I want it to happen. Because Mm -hmm. they're just primed to do it now because of saving Sosa like this. And I just... I need it to happen, Kate. I want them to just be like, nobody cares about us anymore, so we're going to make ourselves the most important. And I'm just like, do it. Do it. Follow in Legends of Tomorrow's footstep all the way and become the most important. <laughs> How do you feel about this idea of them, like, potentially rewriting the entirety of the MCU's history that will never, ever be acknowledged, considering the fact that they couldn't work in the snap because no one told them about it? Um, yeah, right. Um, I am excited for it. I'm looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and just seeing what they, they're going to do. I get it. Like, again, like you were saying, now that no one is standing over their shoulder, um, I look forward to the writers and the showrunners and stuff just fully having their free range of options and seeing which directions they steer towards. Um, what I keep running into with Sousa, uh, and I so enjoy that character and I so enjoy that performance, is a bit of brain hurting shipping because right, I sure. simultaneously am like, yeah, 
I know the best, like, the best straightforward romance in the MCU is definitely Peggy and and Captain America. Um, How dare you? How dare you? Steve and Bucky are right there. They are right there, Kate. No. They don't they don't get enough screen time. <laughs> yeah. And yet I care like I'm I'm actually and like the, the way they handle it in the MCU is so lovely. They do such a good job with it. And they just keep bringing back Haley Atwell because she's amazing. Um and and yet I am actually more invested in Peggy and Sousa, even though I know it can't happen for many reasons. And so I just constantly feel bad for Sousa. <laughs> so I need like, I'm like, cause it's like, Oh, cause they were building up such a good rapport and they're doing some, if they had brought the show back, like they should have, it would have been really great to see them play with that dynamic. Um, but I'm sorry, Sousa, even though you're a really terrific, interesting character and you guys had insane, terrific chemistry because both of you have chemistry with, like, again, this... Walls. Yeah, this this jar of lip balm. Um, The, um... The... It doesn't matter because movies are more important and fancy to our fans. So, eh. So I'm really hoping that we get some quality arcing for Sousa so that wherever we leave him... I don't feel like he is a somewhat like a little little bit of like a broken hearted sad sure. person because yeah. Enver Gyokaj uh, is really good at that kind of like that's part of why he's really good in this noir kind of thing. He can sell that element to it really well. Um, so let's just let's just make sure we leave Sousa in a happy place. Yeah, yeah. I worry um, about so- our fictional characters. Two things um, related to all of that of worried about our fictional characters and broken-hearted, sad people. Poor fucking Enoch, right? <laughs> that was my other big takeaway. Well, and poor Enoch, like Deke Zeke was re- so ready to have. Deke was very talk. ready to 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 chat with him, and he just like didn't even. Yeah, there was he. I said this before, you right? Did say I, this. You did say I this. I am justified about you the entire time. <laughs> Yeah. I was just like, I hope that this doesn't come back to bite them. Not because they don't deserve it, because they do. But because then that would be really sad for Enoch. I yeah. don't want Enoch to go to that dark place. Right. And the tr- the preview for the next episode downplays that as a potential issue. Okay. Um, But also, I hope that he brings it up because... The poor boy. Yeah. That poor, poor robot boy. Yeah. Um, And then the other thing... The may of it all. Of yeah. She can't have any feelings unless she's touching people. And oh my god. Just like the whole concept of May being closed off to people. Being really weirdly literalized now. Yeah. Is bizarre to me. And I'm, I, I, I need them to. I don't know. I don't know what I need them to do. But I need them. I'm very curious about where this road is taking us for this character. Oh I love it. I think it's great. Yeah. I'm very on board with this um, because I'm assuming they're going to be working to a place where it's like a new ability that she can control. And over the course of doing this, she is able to re like engage with her own emotions. Like, yeah, I, I I'm much more interested in that and this sort of a thing than like, Oh, she's actually a robot. (laughs) Yeah. Which is what it seemed like they were had, you know, she's actually an LMD or something like that. Um, Where it seems with, cause it was like, are they going to do that with Colson and with May? And with Gemma, because like there's only 
like, there's only so many characters you can do that. You can do one extra reveal, but not two. Um, so we'll see. But I actually really love that idea, and I like that it's giving it's giving uh, Wen more to do and play than just, I'm a badass, and I'm Stone yeah, Cold. That's true. And I'm randomly funny only in scenes with Coulson or maybe Daisy. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I thought that was fun. I, I'm yeah. I was I did not anticipate it, and I thought I was like giving your closed off character the empath ability because usually they go the other way. Usually it's the like yes. whoever's the most like kind hearted and, and and like warm and sharing and touchy feely kind of character is the one that gets the empath ability, and that's why they are like that. Um, so I, I pr- appreciated this little twist on what I'm used to seeing. So to be fair, the only person that would qualify as an empath on this show currently is Z is Deke. Yeah. Um, like, is literally the only person who qualifies as that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he would not be able to handle having a power. No. <laughs> no. 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 Um, well, unless you have any final thoughts, we should take a break and we'll listen to some more music. And then we're listeners, we're coming back with a whole segment just of reality because there's so much of it. So we will take a break, listen to some music, and be right back after this. I'm in love. I'm in love. I'm in love. Chadwick This week in reality, we're talking about several things. We're talking about the premiere of Don't, uh, Don't Be a Wise Guy. Then we have uh, Noel checking in with us about The Floor is Lava, four episodes of that. Then some Holy Moly 2, the sequel. I have not watched more, but you have, Noel, so we'll chat about that a bit. Then we have, of course, RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars, I'm in Love, and Legendary Remember the Times. And then we'll round things out with this, the finale for Top Chef All-Stars LA, uh, Finito. So first up is don't, and I'm going to do the thing, right? Yeah. Tulliver says, don't watch the show if you can't fast forward through the commercials. But if you can, maybe do. Yeah. I think that's a fair sort of deal with don't, which is also just the worst title. Um, You can't Google it is the worst possible thing about it. Um, Yeah, it's... I really like a lot of the concepts of listeners. The games are organized of don't do a thing, basically. Um, and f- families of four basically try not to do a thing, whether it's don't get tired in which your family has to answer trivia questions correctly. And if they don't, a giant semi inflated bull tire hits you in the face and it's very large. Mm-hmm. Um, or, don't drink a water, but Adam Scott's going to keep feeding you increasingly hot peppers. You don't get any milk while you're walking on a treadmill under heat lamps. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of like in, in the vein of increasingly silly summer game shows. Don't really factor bakes in a lot of things. I think, 
Um, it doesn't find a unified tone, though, especially in this first episode. I think in part because the first family is just really aggressively... They found the most stereotypical people mm-hmm. <laughs> from... Where were they from? They're from Brooklyn? Yeah. Yeah, they found the most aggressively stereotypical Wait, Brooklyn. Are they Brooklyn or Bronx? They're New York. I don't think they're Bronx. Okay. Um, but a borough of New York of people who would say, don't be a wise guy. Um, and whether or not they were coached to like play that up, I don't know. They might have been. Either way, it just makes for like a weird sort of vibe that does not gel well with Adam Scott's whole deal. And Adam Scott hosts, um, and he just seems kerflamped by this entire thing. Um, he's not a great fit for this, which isn't good. But on the upside, Ryan Reynolds is like an executive producer on this, and he carved out time in his schedule to provide Deadpool-esque si- asides as voiceovers throughout the episode, which are arguably the best part of the show. Um, I know your mom is a big fan of Deadpool. How did she feel about this? Did you watch this with your family at all yet? Yeah, well, yeah, I did. But I mean, they stopped. Mom checked out almost immediately because it's really boring. And uh, well, at first, like, it's just there needs to be. It's not fun enough. Yes, it is not fun enough. And it's too slow. Yeah. For what it's trying to be, I think, um, to keep, at least to keep their interest. And like, I wanted there to be more substance. So like for me, the segment that works the best is the, well, the, the don't blink thing was actually really funny. Yes. Because it was only one minute. If it was any longer than that, no. But the one that I actually thought worked the best was the, the eating the hot stuff. Mm-hmm. Cause the, like there was a clear escalation as it went, it got harder as it went. Yes. Um, and it, it, so there, it didn't feel as repetitive as the trivia things, right? Um, and I, it's, I think that this could learn some stuff from Hollywood Game Night around some of the more, even more creativity to it. Like, so like, are you a bird? Are they a bird? Is like, is one of their names a bird yeah. thing, right? Um, that that's interesting and fun. Um, and and there are certain terms like Taylor Swift. Swift isn't type of a bird, apparently. Um, that might surprise you, but. It's not the, like, it's not as, it's, it's too long or it takes too long to do for the amount of interesting that it is. And so some of these different games are more successful than, than others. And they definitely are playing up the banter between the family in this first episode, like with the don't get tired thing. But like, for me, when I, when I saw the ads for this, I was like, oh, don't get tired. So they're going to do things that tire them out and then they can't rest. Yeah. Oh no, they're not. Okay. Don't use, don't use foul language. Oh, they're going to do things where they have to like do something where it would cause them to want to swear. Like someone is swearing at them and they need to not swear back, but then it's not that at all. Like yeah, the, the things that it teased are much more interesting <laughs> than the actual things it's doing. Um, yeah. It literally needs a more Japanese game show vibe. Yeah. 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 And so I, so I like, you know, there's fun here, you know, and again, if you can like fast forward through the boring bits, then or fast forward through, through the ads, then, you know, there are worse, you know, laundry folding shows, definitely. And especially yeah. if you're looking for something just breezy, but it's nowhere near engaging enough. So I'm like, oh, don't, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back in four minutes. Like you're not going to stick through four months of ads 
so that you can watch that. It needs to have higher stakes. It needs to be more interesting, more creative, um, more surprising than it is, I think. So that's that's sort of where I'm at. The 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 asides of Ryan Reynolds are are good, but they are not good enough. Yeah. Um, to be the reason that you watch it because they're they're there and they're good flavor they're interesting flavor they're fun um distinct personality things and then there, you can have some banter with adam and ryan which is good but um that's not enough of a reason on its own i think yeah it like you need reynolds to actually be the host i think for the show to really work um again because i don't think adam scott's thing makes... i see i disagree i don't think this would work with him as the host either Mm-hmm. I think I think Scott is fine. I think the issue here is not Scott so much okay. as the No, I agree. Like games. the games are like the larger issue, but I don't think Scott feels comfortable with this. It reminds me a lot to a certain degree of like Joel McHale's uh game show also on ABC, uh which was like Card Shark. And it's just like, why did you hire hire Joel McHale to be nice semi nice to people? That's not what he does. Don't hire a sarcastic <laughs> guy to do this. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how is The Floor is Lava? I just see that title, I see the ads, and I just immediately go to an ultimate tag place. Is it in that vein? Or more fun, less fun? Where is this at? So this is a this is a Netflix reality competition show that sort of goes, okay, what if The Floor is Lava, which is a game plenty of people with too much furniture have played, um, as kids in which you can't touch the floor and you have to climb all over things because the floor is lava. Like It's a game any number of people have played. Was also an escape room. <laughs> <laughs> and that's sort of like the premise for the floor is lava is that you get teams of three. They climb over themed obstacles of, say, an ancient temple and a base a bedroom with a bed that spins around, a kitchen that's got a big pizza oven and has like a bunch of other like kitchen themed things or a planetarium because everyone has one of those in their houses as well um, like you do like you do um mm-hmm. that everything is sort of there um so it tests like upper body strength communication dexterity abilities to make jump on slippery things because everything is like stuck up through like a pool of red water that is apparently actually quite superheated um, to sort of give it a sense of being lava. Um, But it gets really repetitive real fast is I think the big problem because three teams go through the same room across an episode, which typically runs between 30 to 45 minutes, depending on how well each of the teams does. Um, And they all do the same thing because there's not enough variety within the potential paths. There's at least three main paths, paths that you can take through the room to get to the other side um, to escape. Um, But there's just not enough variety in what they can do um, that by the time you get halfway through the second team, you're very much like, yeah, no, they're doing the same thing as the first team. Oh, the third team's going to do that. Okay. I guess that's fine. So the the pro- the problem is, is like it's just it becomes really repetitive. So you're anxiously waiting for them to fail, which is not the most interesting thing for a show like this, um, because you want them to succeed, but there's not enough like variety or even necessarily degree of skill that can sort of help you. Um, so yeah, it's not terrific i wasted four 
episodes worth of time watching this and i don't know that i'm gonna watch more i'm gonna watch more because i'm a masochist (laughs) but i I kept waiting for some sort of escalation um that just never occurs um rutledge wood who was on top gear um hosts and i put that in air quotes because he actually just provides like commentary and he shows up at the end to award whichever team did the best with ten thousand dollars and a lava lamp which the lava lamp's arguably the best part <laughs> about the whole thing, but $10,000 is not a lot of money um, for a reality competition show, especially when you end up having to split it three ways. Um, like, Chopped gives away $10,000. Um, yeah. But and with taxes and stuff. With taxes and stuff, it just doesn't amount to a whole lot. So it's sort of a weird degree of, like, this needs to be figured out a bit more. Um, the other problem is that each of the rooms is sort of basically the same because they're using the same overall frame because this show is obviously very expensive to like maintain. Um, so like there's always a wall climb thing on one side. There's always a weird sort of thing in the middle that pro- pro- provokes some sort of like a weird challenge, be it a bed that spins around 20 times within a minute or a pyramid that you just can't like get a good grip on. But it's really consistent that there's always these things in these rooms, which also reduces the novelty by the time you get to, like, the third or fourth episode. So it's not particularly well designed. The challenges don't present enough, like, puzzle sort of deal in an escape room bind, because there's always one thing that you can do to extend the table, basically, to get to the other side that makes that last jump a little bit easier. Um, There's just not enough, like they're there i think to make the show Mm -hmm. as compelling as it should be especially in a increasingly crowded field of silly stuff that were that is cropping up a lot more in the summer so i can't recommend the floor is lava even though i'm becoming a weird connoisseur of these games game shows so it's no ultimate tag (laughs) is what i'm saying in answer to your original question (laughs) see because ultimate tag to go back to don't ultimate tag is fun enough and yes. high energy enough and impressive yes. enough, like for what the contestants are able to do, that you'll stick through the commercials, like kind of chat with whoever's in the room through the commercials so yes. that you can see the next one. And, you know, I, I certainly being on Netflix where there's no ads helps. Um, yes. But, but yeah, that's, that's good to know. How, so, what is your number one and two right now? For the game shows, is, is it, I mean, this is a segue. Is it Holy Moly or is it something else? It is definitely Holy Moly. Um, and we can talk about season two of Holy Moly here uh, right now. Um, Holy Moly, I'm so glad they retooled. Um, mm-hmm. Season one, one of my big problems with season one is that there were just too many people in an episode. There were, they started with 12 contestants at the beginning of an episode, Kate. That's too many yeah. people. And I've said that last year. I was just like, this is too many people. Um, so they've reduced it to the to an eight four two um, elimination style uh, deal in season two, and it works so much better. Um, there's a good bit of more pacing. The putter profiles, I think, are much better executed as a result of that. Um, even though getting to know the people in these is not necessarily all that important, um, but you still get a sense of a personality, which is more than you got in season one. So I'm, I'm much more enjoying this. The new holes are generally really enjoyable. Um, but still the show's biggest strength is, um, Rob Riggle and Joe, um, Tessator. 
providing play-by-play and color commentary. And it's just, it's so good. It's so good. And it's still really funny. It's still really ridiculous. It's never tiring watching people get hit by a big foam windmill or try to jump onto a shark um, that's circling the pool while Captain Long John Lovitz... Yes, long John Lovitz shows up in pirate outfits. Everyone, did you mm-hmm. see, did you get to see? Yeah, an I did. I did see that one. Yes. Okay, he shows up again later. Um, oh, okay. Um, so he's a runner at this point, and it's just delightful. Um, listeners, I do encourage you to check out episode five of season two, which is titled "Where the Herd Out." It is this week's episode, and Kate, I really encourage you to check out this episode because. One of the golf con- one of the contestants is a semi well known like cinematographer guy, so much so that he has a fan club that comes with him. The fan club of which includes Zach Efron, who shows up for a hot minute, and Josh Dumel, who shows up <laughs> for an extended period of time. So much so that Rob Riggle convinces him to come up into the uh, booth to do commentary while this guy golfs. Okay. The show's manic energy is so good and pure. Um, so I, I'm really enjoying Holy Moly a lot this season. They've streamlined things. The weird animation interstitials with Stephen Curry, because presumably either he wasn't available because he was actually injured uh, during this NBA season. So he actually didn't play a lot prior to the shutdown. Or because they're giving away potentially $250,000 this year, which is mm-hmm. a lot of money. Uh, versus what I was talking about just with like um, Flores Lava, which is a measly 10 grand. This is a quarter of a million bucks, maybe. Um, yeah, but that's the thing. Is yeah. it going to be one of those you got to get a hole in one? Yeah, no, I don't know. But I'm really, I'm actively excited to find out. Um, so I'm enjoying season two. How much of season two have you watched? Uh, just one? I've watched or? a couple. Okay. How are I, you feeling I did, about it? Did you see the hole in one? I saw that episode. And that's God, as far as I've been. They're actually, a, like, is it the one that was on, um, your, the Uranus hole? Because there's a hole I don't, in, okay. I don't remember. Episode four has a hole in one on the new, um, Uranus, uh, hole. And it's really exciting. But there are a number of holding ones that happen throughout this season. They're all very, very exciting. And it's fun watching Riggle and Tessator just go ape shit about it. Anyway, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. No, that's fine. Um, so that's that's as far as I've seen. But I can check out this episode just to yeah. uh, enjoy the like ridiculousness of that. So that's fun. Yeah. Um, our next episode is RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. I'm in love! And... Uh, I gotta say, my enthusiasm for All Stars 5... You are not in love. (laughs) Yeah, is seriously waning because, first things first, Shay destroys this episode. Her look is an all-time great drag race look. And she crushes her verse. But the song is dumb and not interesting. Yes. And there's, there's no there there. We need, like... In the first episode, the lip sync is so great, and the interest there's the all the twists right of of what the format's going to be the season that are that are compelling and ooh what's it going to be so that kind of carried the the premiere, and Evie's like just the look is enough but like her performance was amazing. Then the second episode, the song isn't good. Each of the verses are too short to really give the queens enough time to make something more out of them. Yeah. Because I think I think several of the queens actually did a good job. I liked Jujubee. I liked uh, I liked Alexis. Uh, Shay was obviously the best. And some of the other queens had some some good stuff. But like, 
it was a dumb song. <laughs> it wasn't interesting. And at the end, it turns into like a stalker thing, which is supposed to be funny, but just is not to me. Um, not in a like, oh, boo, shame, but just kind of like a, okay, I see what you're doing. And I'm not, I'm not laughing. Um, the runways I thought were some, were, were good in general. Like the overall level is good, but there, a lot of them were just good. Right? They weren't like, you're, this is all stars. I thought Shay's team was, this is all stars. And the rest of them were fine. Um, and that for me continues in the next episode. Um, and so I, the whole point of all stars is that they're really good. And yes, you get all the behind the scenes stuff. You get different interpersonal dynamics because they know each other already. And they've been working together for years at different clubs and things. But, um, and with the queens eliminating, it adds a whole other social element. But ultimately, the whole point of All Stars is they like your jaw is on the ground because you're constantly being gagged by their insane looks, and they're just crushing the challenges. And this season, so I mean, like, I spoiler alert. By the time you guys hear this, it will have aired. I they're three for three on good maxi challenges. The reading challenge, they did great. All the reads were great. Um, some level of very good to great, but like even the best performances in these episodes would just be like, okay, in a different all-star season. And I mean, some of the, it's just, I expected these queens to do much better. And in this episode, Shay does a really terrific job, but we don't even get to enjoy it. We don't even get to spend time with her really, because instead of her spending all this time with Angina and with Cracker. And I don't care. So I'm 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 struggling here. And I think that's fair. I I absolutely agree. Shay's look on the runway for this is absolutely incredible. Like top tier, god tier. Did you see the the look, like how she her photo shoot? No, no, I did not. For her photo shoot, she did the birth of Venus. Okay. So like that can the recontextualizing of it, you know on top of an amazing look for us just in general, but also for love the skin you're in, then putting her into that classic painting in that pose speaks so much. It's, ah, it's great. I will go check that out. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's the highlight of the episode. Everything else just pales in comparison. And, but it just makes for a really sort of blah experience as a result as a watcher. Um, Miss Cracker attempting to stir up drama feels weird and deeply manufactured, as I you noted in your review as to whether um, Cracker is attempting to get more screen time or just doesn't just need something to happen um, on a production level. It all feels really weird, and co- especially coming from Miss Cracker. Um, but then I think overall, just no one stepping up is the thing um because like i I, when there's the song which i agree with you is just nonsense um and kind of dull i was really sort of weirded out and frustrated by shay mariah and angina not really coordinating their outfits to match the fact that they all picked superheroes like how do you not like theme your stuff together because they gave them outfits. <laughs> they gave them... They, like, these are not outfits that the queens came up with, because each of the three are paired, right? You know? So, I mean, yes, they 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 needed to... They certainly had, like, certain ones that could be flexible 
like I'm sure the production team had certain looks that could work in different, depending on like the sizes of the queens and who picked which, you know, which teams. Yeah. But like whenever you see these production number things, those are not looks. Usually those are not looks that the queens are making and, and coming with themselves. They're ones that the production is doing. I'm sighing and, really heavily because it defeats the purpose of the show. Um, yeah. <laughs> just defeats the purpose of the show when they do this. Um, so it's really frustrating. It's really kind of boring. Um, and yes, everything else you just said, the lip sync isn't particularly good. Um, bringing Alyssa out this early kind of also feels really ridiculous. Um, but Alyssa also just doesn't seem to care. I I think that she, Alyssa did okay. I saw a lot of people wondering if she was throwing it. I don't think Alyssa Edwards throws a lip sync. I don't think she was throwing it, but I also just don't think she cared necessarily um but you and i had this conversation prior to me watching the episode of like the lip sync is edited to hell so you can't actually tell anything that's going on in it um and get a sense of the rhythm and everything which is the other problem i think so there's just there's nothing here that's very exciting i think and you have tempered all my expectations for this week's episode um, so yeah. I'm, I'm feeling very frustrated with, um, all stars and I am sort of, um, glad that my frustration is about the show as opposed to just about the franchise. Cause you know how I feel about the fact of when they run regular flavor and then all stars back to back and I'm just, I get fatigue and now I'm just like, no, that's not what's happening here. In fact, I kind of want this content this year. Mm-hmm. Why is this show not good right now? <laughs> yeah. Well, especially because they're following up a really strong yes. season, right? And I feel like some of these some of these performances and we're getting in All-Stars wouldn't have been a noteworthy performance in season 12. Yeah. Let alone in All-Stars. And that is not what you want. Um, with this cast, I mean, having half older queens, half newer queens, there were some real obvious, like, front runner people, like some people who were, you knew were going to show up and do a great job, like Shay. Um, people who were very excited for, like Jujube, who should come in and slay it. But then there are also a number of queens who are big fan favorites or or people who came in and under-delivered in their first season, but have had enough time to like know the game now and be able to go away and build up some money, build up their their looks and their experience and get their head where it needs to be so that they can come back and really show a new level. And I think a bunch of the queens have done that in their painting and in their looks, but in their performances, that hasn't happened. And like I'm waiting for mayhem to wow me, and that hasn't happened. I'm waiting for for India Farah, who are who did who came out strong in the first episode, to do more, and and several of the other queens too. Where it's like, yeah, we like you. That's why you're on All Stars. But let's see this the All Stars version of you because yes, you paint much better. Like you look beautiful. You look stunning. But this is a performance show more than anything else. And there's not enough personality. There's not enough sense of humor. There's not enough. um, There's just not enough there there. So I'm hoping that that changes. There's also too much manufactured drama. This week's episode, um, there's, we'll talk about it next week, but uh, there's a bunch of of that, of Durban Strong. 
But there's also really compelling stuff in Untucked. And okay. it's like, why is this in Untucked and not in the main show? Well, what you're going to have do- to tell me all about it since I can't watch Untucked. You can watch Untucked. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, and we'll talk about it next week. I don't want to, I don't want to spoil you and I don't want to, you know, say anything for if listeners haven't seen it yet. But it's just, it's disappointing because I was, you know, you know, Noel, I was raring to go. I was ready. Oh, let's bring on All-Stars. This cast is going to be great. It just hasn't happened. Well, you know what has been great? is legendary, because I was very on the fence, as you will recall, after two episodes. Uh, I clearly should have watched that third episode right away, because the guest judge is Dominique Jackson. And you bring Dominique Jackson on your show, on your ballroom show, and all of a sudden, your show is amazing. The The, the challenges were better and more interesting. For It was Circus Berserkus was that episode. Okay. And so it was like circus freaks and... and, and um, over the, like, big top, but also with tinges of horror and, you know, everything was the theme. And so it was really interesting. And then just you got Dominique Jackson just, like, absolutely slaying. She's amazing. <laughs> like, at one point, one of the bo- – both one of the contestants and then later one of the judges tried to step to her. And she just – she's like, I am ballroom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just like, yes, don't talk to mother. What are you doing? What are you – back away. Um, so she just like they need to bring her back. <laughs> they need to bring her back just like yesterday. Um, so so having a guest judge who is a strong grounding and background in um, the in ballroom really really helps, and um, that that really helps sway the whole balance of everything. But also some of the 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 routines have really stepped up, and the production values. This week's episode is remember the time. So each of the the houses were tasked with doing a group performance centered on a uh, different ancient civilization. So like ancient Rome, ancient Greece, uh, there's, there's a ancient African, they don't, I don't, I don't know if they said the specific region or, or tribe, but then there, there was like the, no, not the Celts, the Vikings. Um, there's like a generic Northern European and a generic, I think, no, I don't. It, it, I watched it earlier this week. I don't remember, but th- they were all distinct and interesting. Um, and uh, there was some really cool stuff that they were doing, um, drawn both in the art, the like the the painting and the the looks, and also in the choreography that really made you know stepped things up. So like I was, I was much more impressed with the ones I have watched this week than I was with the initial two. So, um, if you are considering going back to watch one, watch the one with Dominic Jackson. <laughs> Okay. Because she's amazing. Listeners, this is one of the actors on Pose. She plays Electra. If you've seen clips from Pose of someone reading someone for filth, it's probably her. Um, she's just like the cheekbones. The cheekbones will just cut into your soul. Um, so so she's terrific as a, as a judge. They need to bring her back immediately, like I already said. But um, then, you know, the next one is going to be interstellar or intergalactic. It's just like a space kind of themed one. So having these more heightened themes, I think, is also making it more a more interesting competition. Um, but yeah, very glad I, I circled back around to that one. Our last episode is Top Chef All-Stars LA, which has finale finito. And it's what we all needed. Yes. So what we all wanted. Congratulations. We've given you time to stop your podcatching device if you're not going to want to know. Congratulations to Melissa for fan favorite and also Top Chef. And did you hear that she donated the 10K? 
to oh, charities, no. to various um, charities that are specifically geared towards people of color, helping uh, assisting people of color. And that the reason we find out tonight that she did is because she won 250 grand. So way to go, Melissa. That's great. Yeah, no, um, it was very, I mean, she made an Italian man cry with her food. Mm-hmm. You, you just automatically win after that. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was also increasingly her season to lose as well, I think. Um, so mm-hmm. the result sort of felt like a foregone conclusion, but she also just kicked ass in this finale. Well, they all did. Yeah, except, like, they did. Stephanie had a, had a not great dish. Right. She that... had an imperfect dish, which is all it takes. Yeah. And and then it's a matter of who edged the other one out, and Melissa edged out Brian, but... But also, it just increasingly felt like her, like, there was just a lot of momentum, um, mm-hmm. but also the fact that she thinks... Based on the show and the edit, um, she thinks really differently about food than Voltaggio does, which I think, especially considering how long the show has been running, that kind of an approach is going to always help you win, provided it's grounded in your philosophy or story, which makes a big impact, I think, increasingly these days with the judges. Um, and King has very consistently made sure that her food achieves both of those things. And I think that that was really important. Whereas Voltaggio always has a degree of detachment to his food. Even when he talks about something, it always feels slightly detached. Um, Mm -hmm. to the, even though at the same time he's joking, he's just like, I've been on this show three times now and I've made it to the finale three times and I haven't won, so I'm not doing this anymore. And my partner just went, yeah, but you're going to go into therapy about it now. <laughs> um, yeah. You seem yeah, a little having, sad. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's understandable, <laughs> yes, right? Yes, no, it is. Especially when the first time you lose to your little brother, right? Yes. That's just going to add extra layers of uh, of trauma or just, like, of things that require some therapy. Um, yeah, having... Like, if you, if you have... Two chefs and one, they both make absolutely gorgeous, beautiful meals. And one of them is a beautiful execution of a vision you've seen before. And one of them is something that you haven't seen before. Yeah. The one that you haven't seen before is going to win. Yes. Or even like the one where you go, oh, this is the thing. But it's different in terms of like what she does with the Hong Kong tiramisu, um, Hong Kong tea tiramisu, where we did a tiramisu. It's not quite right, but we did a tiramisu, but with this flavor profile instead of that flavor profile, but you still know it's a tiramisu. It just lacks that bitterness, but no one really ultimately cared that it didn't have the bitterness. Um, That is a really easy thing to sort of remedy at the same time, because the rest of it was just delicious. Um, Mm -hmm. So I really appreciated all of this um, in terms of like, I just like when everyone does well in the finale as opposed to someone just has, this is the time that they have their bad day. And it's just like, that is the worst thing for a Top Chef finale is when the chef has their bad day in the finale because it just sucks all the energy out of the episode. Um, yeah. So that that was really kind of disappointing. Um, that's always kind of disappointing. So it not happening here, I think made a big difference. But I also think 
the other big difference was it was all stars, which always sort of like shifts things. But the fact that like Stephanie was like, yeah, no, I didn't win. But I made it so much farther than I thought I was going to do. <laughs> hey, guys, I made it to the finale. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, yeah, like, that okay. being the thing of, like, yeah, no, I don't think I'm going to win because look at who I'm up against. Mm-hmm. But I made it to the finale. I didn't expect well, to make it to the finale. <laughs> and, like, not only did she make it to the finale, she was a freaking contender yes. in that finale. Yes. If she hadn't made the mistake that Malarkey foresees her making. Yes. You know, like, which was a preventable mistake, then it's a much, I mean, I think you get the same result, but it's an even closer conversation. Exactly. And I think that, yeah, yeah, that makes a huge difference. Um, What did you think about the fact that I honestly have to legitimately, based on what happens in this episode, that Malarkey was just angling for a villain edit to get screamed at him. (laughs) And then he's suddenly the best, most supportive sous chef in the entire show. (laughs) I, the thing I didn't like about the sous chefs is I felt like in order to keep things suspenseful, they were giving Leanne a, is Leanne going to f- screw it up yes. for Melissa edit? Yes. And I, I mean, I just think that's shitty. It is super, super shitty. <laughs> I mean, maybe she knew about it going in, but, but Leanne worked on the show for years as a coordinator uh, behind the scenes. That's part of why they you know ha- have such a strong relationship with her and they like they pull her in like so when gregory all of a sudden can't do it they need to fly someone in they they talk to her because they knew that you know they have a strong relationship and she would do a good job so i don't appreciate that as a leanne stan and i kept waiting like oh are they editing it this way because something's gonna happen oh no and then it didn't happen i was like you guys it's not it's not cool don't do that don't do that to leanne because and you don't need to do it to her and you don't need to do it to the episode is the other thing like the episode has enough tension because everyone's doing well enough that you don't need it well and every time they cut to leanne she's going like we're gonna win like this recipe like the the menu is amazing we're gonna win and i'm just excited to help her win and but the way they were cutting everything else it made that seem either insincere or foolhardy and overconfident, you know? Yeah. And, and then, you know, she was going to be hoisted somehow. So it's just, I did not, I did not appreciate that tone. And like you said, the episode didn't need it. Yeah, it just doesn't. Um, so, but still a solid season, I think. Of, yeah, I think a really strong season. Yeah. Um, even if a lot of it sort of felt like foregone conclusion to a certain degree. Um, not in like a bad way, because I, I want Melissa to win. Um, <laughs> but... Enough so that, like, Last Chance Kitchen kept folks circulating, I think, in really good ways. Um, but, yeah, I've, I I was generally really happy with this top three. Um, in no small part because... Go ahead. Well, and because they earned it. Right, exactly, yeah. It seemed like they justified it, they deserved it. Because neither of us would have picked Stephanie to be in the top three. No, absolutely but... not. Yeah. Nothing against her, but... But just, With I mean, she wouldn't group. have picked her yeah. to be in the top three. She wouldn't have anticipated that. Um, so to watch, you know, like it felt very, like, like whether it's the actual food, which we can't taste, but therefore we can only judge by the editing. Like it seemed that every step of the way, when there was a more unexpected or controversial um, elimination, the the chef that stayed, who maybe you ex- expected to go, to get eliminated, then did really well. 
So it didn't seem like, from about the halfway point of the season, it didn't feel like people were coasting through who didn't deserve to be there anymore. Yeah. And I think that really helps in the overall, like, reflection and view of a season, um, like, after the fact. If there, because there were some early, like, Eric got cut way earlier than we anticipated, um, and there were some others like that. But um, in general, people didn't waste their opportunities if they if they scraped by then they reestablished why they were there in the first place Mm -hmm. in the next episode or or soon after yeah i that's a really good point um yeah yeah still a little upset about eric yeah well i just that's the thing is i want him back for another all-stars yeah same later i don't know when it'll be but um, gregory as well yeah Um, gregory too yeah so what one's your week in tv um i mean it's gonna be Agents of Shield. Um, it's gotta be Agents it's of Shield. Be it's Agents so good. Of Shield. There's, I mean, it could be Holy Moly, but it's Agents of Shield. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, now we'll take a break and come back with our discussion of Top Boy Summer House season one. We'll be right back after this. I want a life. I was born and bred in Summer House. Twenty six years old. Got nothing else to be except this. No, I'm in it. Everyone knows you're the shame. We done warned you about commanding them London fields, man. Shane, you're not listening. Get Bobby Free Brand. Do you have a history of mental illness, Lisa? Do you have any children? I don't want to be shy. It's all there, man. You got two minutes. Let me run Summer House. All them little stunts you pulled before coming and taking man's food can't happen again. Yeah, man. Have you known me? I don't come nowhere just to talk. There's someone looking after Renell. Can't even visit her. They found out about me. They put me in care. Now, where your family now? Think of all these not as your cousins. I will look out for you, fam. You have to be very, very careful. Can't tell no one, especially not your mum. I'd really appreciate if you left Renell Smith alone. What's Renell Smith got to do with you? You're a friend of my dad's. I ain't seen one in a long time. So we've got this place in Finchley. It's all set up. You better know what you're doing. That's a lot of money. At least it's good to see you being you again. It's good to be me again. I don't know why, but I never thought you'd have children. You won't regret it. Having Renault is the best thing that ever happened to me. You know why you ain't rolling with my team? It's because I'm smart. <laughs> he told me he was going around gems to do homework. Uh, he's just growing up so fast. Yeah, too fast. Why you coming up here chatting shit? Shane. Can you hear me now? Yo. You've been robbed twice. What are you trying to do, mate? Can I have it out of this? I'm going to get your money back, all right? you got two weeks. Don't try and act fucking rough, you know. Shut up when I'm talking. Don't you ever call me my son again. Do you understand? That was a trailer for Netflix's, well, for Channel 4's Top Boy, or Netflix's Top Boy Summer House Season 1, which is a uh, a British drama about people who live in a state and are involved in various levels of uh, drug operations and, and sales, and, and it's like a crime show. Um, and it is many things. It's a really good show, I think. Well-made and well-performed and, and everything. It's just really... Uh, it's, it's dark, and it is uh, not always an easy watch. So 
if this is not what you need to hear right now, if this is not the show for you, go watch Legendary or uh, go watch Holy Moly. But if you are in the mood for a dark and gritty crime drama, let's talk Top Boy. Um, what drew this to your attention? Because I had never heard of it, Noel, when you suggested it. Right. So this series, like you said, originally aired on Channel 4 in the UK um, in 2011. Uh, like the fall of 2011. Um, and I legitimately do not remember who told me about this show because it's been in my Netflix queue, I think, since 2011. Um, at the very least, since like 2012. Because uh, I think they acquired it relatively quickly and they just kept it. Um, but I just never got around to watching it. And so because we were like trying to figure out stuff to do, I just went, well, this is a really good chance for us to watch Top Boy. So let's do Top Boy. And listeners, originally we were going to do both of the Channel 4 seasons this week. <laughs> Time did not allow that to happen. So we're going to do season two next week. <laughs> um, so come back for that. Um, so that if you're aired, intrigued, there's yeah. time to watch that. Like most of these episodes are about 50 minutes. There's four yeah. episodes per season. So there's time to watch all of season one and then season two before we talk about it next week. If you, or next, right. Yeah, for the next episode, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's all I basically had about it, because the other thing about this show is that I don't think it aired anywhere in the U.S. other than on Netflix, um, which means that given when it dropped, which was, again, in 2011 in the U.K., and I'm not quite sure when uh, Netflix grabbed it um, to start airing it. Um, yeah, I don't remember. Um that no one talked about it. Like, I've, I'm legitimately positive the only reason I know about it is because someone I know from the UK mentioned, tweeted about it, and it just lodged my brain and I added it because I trust that, pers- I trust that person's opinion, um, which narrows it down to who it could be. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway. Yes, I think this is very good. I think that there are... It's tight. It's very brutal in a number of ways. Um, but it is very good. Um, even if, like, I went back through and, like, went through some of the British press clippings about it. Um, even if it's not necessarily super realistic and was semi-controversial to a certain degree um, within folks who lived in a similar um, estate. This happens in the Summer House Estates, which is basically a, um, whatchamacallit, um, the equivalent of a, um, whatchamacallit, um, housing like the, project? The, yeah, like the projects, that kind of a thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, yeah. So, this first season and the uh, season two also um, follows various people who live within the Summer House um, estate as they kind of resist and avoid getting pulled into drug-related criminal activity um, or actively engage in it. Um, So there's easy comparisons to, like, The Wire, I think, Mm -hmm. um, to this. I don't think that those are accurate comparisons or even necessarily productive comparisons because I think both shows are very much doing their own thing. They're doing very Um, different things, yeah. They're doing very, very, very different things. So I don't think that that comparison is fair, but it is a comparison that I saw kind of crop up a little bit when I was looking for stuff, and I don't think it's an accurate or even fair comparison. But where I kind of wanted to start this discussion is something that the people who watched the show 
um, like people who come from similar sorts of estates and neighborhoods who watched the show at a screening um, pointed out as just being too, too inaccurate, too un, too, just like reality breaking sort of deal. But I wanted your take on this is that there are literally no police in this show. Mm-hmm. There's no police force. There's no detective who's like got a chip on his shoulder about not being able to bust the crime ring. And this is his last chance to make the big thing, the collar. Mm-hmm. There's no cops whatsoever in this program. There's not a social worker. There's a teacher who shows up for a scene in like episode three or four. Um, there's Leon, who's a very well-meaning person who is a former gang member um, who has shifted out of that life to do something else. Um, who comes the closest to that kind of a figure in this program. So did you notice that while you were watching the show that there were like no police here? Um, or did that not kind of register because of how generally well the show, I think puts you into this cocoon and quite quickly. Yeah. I didn't even think about that because I, there are, there are a bunch of characters you're following Mm -hmm. and I just I mean also there's only four episodes. So yeah. This this show is interested in its main characters and it is not interested in making police officers its main characters. So therefore it doesn't come up. Um that it doesn't that could like having only seen the first season, right? That I wouldn't have been surprised if you said that that crops up in season series two or se- series three. Um, I don't know if we mentioned series one was in 2011, series two was in 2013, and the Netflix season was last year. So there's a bit of a gap there, um, which explains why when I started watching series three, thinking of a series one, uh, and that was very confused, and then went back to series the actual series one, I was like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> this is, this all makes more sense. Um, but no, I did not register that as something, um, I mean, obviously I wasn't watching this going, this is a documentary style, realistic depiction of the lives of people who live in this estate. Um, but it was actually, if anything, kind of refreshing to not watch it follow those same beats that you expect from other shows that might get mentioned in a similar breath, like you were saying, like The Wire or something. It's not doing that. This doesn't want to be The Wire. It wants to do this instead. And I appreciate that it has sort of its own approach and identity. Yeah. Um, I noticed it pretty quickly. Like, there's not even, like, street cops in this yeah. um, to hassle anyone, um, which is one of the big things that, like, people who watch, like, audi- audience members, particularly, like, younger audience members went oh, yeah, no, cops would be all over all of these people constantly. Um, So it exists in, like, a weird sort of space in which there's no police force, really. Um, Which, again, isn't factually accurate or even, like, realistically accurate, but provides this weird wall uh, that allows for, again, I kept going to like this idea of it being really tight because it is four episodes, but also like very sort of brutal, narrow thing. Yeah. Um, Claustrophobic. Claustrophobic is really, really good. Um, But also the fact that it's only four episodes means that because of all that, there's no room for it. Um, Mm -hmm. So everything has to like kind of sync up by the end of the season, which it does. And I think it does relatively organically as well. 
um, in terms of how certain plot lines end up overlapping with one another. Um, that anything else is too extraneous. Mm -hmm. And the show's economy, I think, makes just such a difference in terms of what we get with um, Ronell, who's a young man whose mother gets basically cut, carted off to a mental hospital to sort of recover from like what looks like um, at the very least like a severe depression mm-hmm. um, and lives on his own for an extended period of time while she recovers and we get some of her stuff there while Leon, who is works in the hospital that... Uh, Lisa, who's Ronell's mother, gets admitted to, who keeps an eye on him and also tries to keep him from getting involved in this life with um, up-and-coming um, drug dealers and crime lords, kingpins, whatever term you want to use, uh, Duchesne and Sully, who are trying to run the estate, basically, and try to move much quicker um and up the supply lines with a white kingpin mm-hmm. um and on top of all this is another woman uh who is pregnant um heather who is drawing growing massive amounts of cannabis in an apartment in the estates um for a vietnamese seller in an effort to get out of the estate and move to a much pl- posher um to borrow the slang um mm-hmm area of london um so all of these things end up overlapping i think really really nicely um by the end in particular but especially in like the first two episodes i was sort of wondering what are we doing where are we going with any of this because especially in the by the second episode in which there's an escalation of things that happens that at the same time it doesn't make sense in terms of narratively what comes next and it also feels really trite as Mm -hmm. well with oops we accidentally killed someone we have to get rid of the body but the show's steering out of a investigation because that's a prime space for cops to suddenly show up yeah and the show goes nah not our thing and i think that Mm -hmm. makes just such a huge difference in how all of that feels um and i'm gonna stop talking for a minute so that you can stop talking you can talk for a little bit, but the other thing I want to note is that at least in this season, she does not appear in season two. Letitia Wright Mm -hmm. um, is in this uh, very, very pre black Panther. um, And she's quite good in her scenes in this. Um, She arguably doesn't have enough to do, but she's, she's very good in what she does get to do here. Yeah. I liked a lot of these performances because I mean, there's their younger characters in here, right? There's some, some teens and even i mean there's i think it just goes back to that four episodes thing which is sort of i'm still not used to it especially for a show like this it feels like it's a sweeping crime drama looking at the fractured lives of many people living in the same state in four episodes right um or at least for the first series um it I, i i was impressed by the economy of the writing and then with the performances they were getting out of the even the very well the teenaged performers like as soon as you are spending any time even just right away in the premiere when you are spending time with Rennell and Jem like 
the the some, the guy at the corner right tries to give him money, and Rennell's like, nope, and Jem's like, yes, please, and you can just immediately see where this is gonna go, you know, through throughout the season, it's like. It, it feels organic. It's in, it's in, um, it makes sense with what we're seeing for this world. And it also does in one quick exchange, what another show might take an episode to do, you know? Um, so there's a care with some of the, the, the characterizations and the, the writing that I, I really appreciated. Um, I feel like, I mean, we've already kind of mentioned it, but this is a there's some grisly stuff yes um there's cut off a dude's finger there's there's a dude gets his finger cut off a man gets tortured with a hot iron yeah um there's some bad stuff a dog gets (laughs) killed and mounted on a track it's not great yeah Um, this is it it is rough some of the stuff that you're i mean because these are these are rough people and they're they don't shy from that um for me it didn't feel like it was um exploiting that or like it was uh over like indulging in that it felt of a piece with the tone they had created even if maybe i wasn't wanting to watch that in the moment uh how did that feel for you i think the moments of violence um generally work really well in part because one of the things I actually do kind of like about this show is that there's a push among a number of the characters against violence happening, like actual violence happening. Threats of violence are perfectly acceptable and in fact are actively encouraged. Actual violence, when it does happen in this show, is accidental for the most part. There are instances in which it is very much not accidental. Um... Or it is something that feels very much like a last resort almost. Um, Or it feels like we were culturally, not culturally, we were within this realm of business that we're in. We kind of have to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, Like you see that um, when um, Duchesne and uh, Sully get their, finally capture um, a rival drug dealer but then neither of them actually do the thing that they need to do and mm-hmm. have someone else do it. Um, which is a good deniability, but B also demonstrates the degrees to which they're making these decisions. Um, so not wanting to get their hands dirty, but also the ways in which maybe they're not comfortable with actual violence yet. Um, and I think again, that's sort of, way of exploring that I think is really, really interesting because we also see that with Rennell, whose whole story is the fact that he stabbed his abusive father with a knife, which is why the knife, when it comes to pay off at the end of the season is such a massively emotional moment for both him, but also for Lisa, his mom, um, that violence is such a, thing that's very easy to overdo especially in a narrative like this and the show i think makes a really conscious choice to not overdo that and so and to so those moments of violence don't feel desensitized and in fact feel quite harrowing in part because of how visceral they are but also because of how rare they end up feeling to compare it to say giri haji right yeah sure. giri haji started out with 
uh, it starts out with like the drive by, right? Yes. But then for a while, it, there is limited violence, and then at a certain point, it's just everywhere, and it feels very much like an action movie. So it, it's just totally very, very different here. Yeah. In, like it's much more rooted in in character and less in genre. I also, I mean, it was probably overgeneralizing, but how much of that do you think has to do with a lot of the crime and drug kind of centered shows and movies I've seen have all been American versus yeah. this being a British one. I feel like that's, there's got to be a cultural element with that too. I mean, there could be a cultural element with it, but I also think about something like Luther, which is very violent and very okay. gory. Um, but that also centers on a cop that's losing his grip on himself and everything, um, which isn't a knock against Luther, even though, um, I stopped watching after the second season because I thought the second season was shit. Um, <laughs> I still haven't seen any of it. So you're ahead, you're ahead of me. Well, I think the first season's really good, but the second season's just actively bad. Um, but I'd also be curious to revisit that and see if I still feel that way. Cause I don't think I would apart from really appreciating Elba and Wilson's performances, which I probably imagine hold up. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, I don't think it's necessarily cultural, but I do think that um, the show's um, creator, uh, Ronan Bennett, who is Irish and white, mm. um, <laughs> doesn't want to overplay into that. And I think that there was a desire to push back against that kind of more American style crime drama to a certain degree here, um, even down to like the lack of police mm-hmm. in it, even though plenty of British cop shows exist. Like, I mean, Luther, which I just mentioned, but I mean, yeah, there's a bunch of them. suspect. Yeah. Um, so I think that there's plenty to look at and the show just goes, no. Um, so I think it generally works really, really well. But again, I think that having four episodes in a season and telling this really tight, short story almost that then feeds into another short story in season two, presumably, mm-hmm. um, and looking ahead a little bit at episode descriptions and casting absolutely does. Even season three <laughs> follows yeah. up with this, um, with a number of these characters as well. Um I think that there's there's a really good economy here um, with the show. And we've said that quite a bit, so I'm going to stop using the word economy. Um, was there anything else about this um, show that stood out to you in particular? Um, I know that there was one other thing for me that I do want to discuss real quick. Um, but I wanted to know if there was anything that stood out to you or any particular performances or anything. Well, I think for me, um, I mean, I just don't... I am always drawn to when there are the the kids and there are teens in these stories. If if they have um, if they have strong enough writing and performances, that's where I tend to stay centered. Mm-hmm. So I was very focused on Rennell throughout yeah. um, the season, but um, I think the it the i also appreciated the look of it i felt like i had a good clear sense of the space the different spaces um which i appreciated and the um there's a there's a estateiness vibe <laughs> from seeing, seeing even just like on doctor who right cuz rose is from lives on this and the state that um felt recognizable at least from cinema i don't know how accurate it is to real life um sure but 
So there was like a for me it had a blend of feeling like a crime drama, like a like this is what crime dramas look like, and also this is what estates look like in TV. Um, so I was in, appreciating that element as well to like the lighting and how it's framed and some of those other choices. What was your last thing you wanted to mention? I really liked the music in this mm. um i'm a big fan of brian eno in general but he provides the score for most of this um shock um i enjoy ambient music um but brian eno's stuff i think is also a little push pushes against the edges of that in really interesting ways but i think his work here is really um well done um it veers into like a minimalist sort of minimalistic sort of approach without really feeling like it's um fucking philip glass who i also really really love but it doesn't feel philip glassy um so it's not as overworked um so but it hits when his score comes in it hits really hard and i think really really well um so i really liked the music in this um in particular so I will make sure I'm listening out for it for season two. It's a weird inversion. You talked about, you mentioned visuals. I mentioned Brian Eno. <laughs> so. oh, look at that. How about that? Well, listeners, if you have seen Top Boy, um, let us know what you thought of season one. And, you know, check out season two. If Again, if you're up for it, don't binge this. <laughs> don't. Yeah, no. Um, I was going to do that. I did two episodes and then I took like three days off and then had yeah. to watch them today. The next two yeah. days. <laughs> This is why when I watched three from the wrong season, I was like, oh, no, because I knew I wouldn't be able to. I wasn't going to. I was like, OK, I'll start it the right season. It's like, no, I can't do more today. My soul is angry. Yeah. Um, and if this sort of thing means anything to you, um, the entire reason season three kind of got greenlit by Netflix is that Drake really likes this show. <laughs> so if you care about things that Drake likes, Drake really likes this show. <laughs> that is very entertaining. I'm glad I know that now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so more on, on this next week when we talk season two. But for now, that will wrap up our episode for, for this week. A few show notes. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can find us in Apple Podcasts with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. And we're also up on Stitcher. We'd appreciate ratings and reviews either place, both places. Let us know when you do it because otherwise we probably won't know that it happens um and of course we are both on twitter i am at the televerse and noel you are at noel rk thank you so much for a great week kate thank you noel and thank you everyone for listening we'll be back next week with another episode of the televerse (laughs) 